What's going on, everybody, and welcome. This is Smack and Zach Talk. And today, what we're going to do and what we're going to continue doing is a Circadian's Chaos Order design podcast diary. Um, so, we didn't want to write it all down into a blog fit format we wanted to talk about this game that we have created so i'm sam i'm sam mcdonald i'm designer of circadian's first light and co-designer of the west kingdom trilogy and who is this man over here um yeah i'm zach i'm with zachary smith on the on the box uh zach smith on bgg i think and this is my first game design which uh it's pretty crazy I'm from Lower Hutt, which is where Sam is in this very moment, but I live in Italy and I've been living here uh, for the last six years. I live in Pisa, quite near to the tower, and um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know what else to say about myself. I really enjoy board games, I really enjoy computer games, I enjoy lots of sorts of games, I enjoy sport, I like competition. Mm, you like competition. Well, I think maybe we'll kind of... Uh, discover how you've found this this game design journey as a first-time designer as we go on throughout this podcast i love to kind of um, learn what the experience has been like for you what you've learned um, also I'll, I'll love to talk about what you brought to the table as well um, but let's let's start talking about this game this beast circadian's chaos order i actually don't have a physical box to show anyone right now i would love to show you uh but we don't have that yet. It's still in development. Um, it's going to be launched in October on Kickstarter. But Zach, give us an elevator pitch. What is this game? Who is this game for? All right. So this game is, um, some people would call it dudes on a map. Some people would call it like hybrid Ameritrash Europe. Some people would call it area control. I think for these games, people have a hard time defining them because sometimes they can go so far in, in the way of like, a, I guess, um, a game of chance where you throw dice and, and destroy people's units. And sometimes they can just be completely deterministic where it feels like you're playing chess. Um, and so people have a hard time defining this genre. But definitely, I would say it's a game that's about conflict, but it is definitely also about knowing how to manage your resources and there is a lot of intricate stuff going on um both in in the fights and the battles and in the managing your economy and and making sure that you're you're able to sustain those those fights and battles um but it is also it's not a game where you can just sit and and hide uh it's definitely a game where you need to to join the conflict with other with other people so it's not a game for the the faint-hearted, but it is not is neither is it a game um, that I think makes you feel bad uh, when you lose a battle or when uh, or when things don't go your way. I I enjoy it even when people are smashing my face. It's great. <laughs> Do you enjoy it because they're smashing your face? <laughs> Probably yes. <laughs> Sadistic. Anyway, it is a game. Uh, that involves uh, six rounds, up to six rounds, which are broken down into different phases. Now, each of those phases, um, uh, first you have people pricing uh, actions, putting little, their own little tokens onto five different actions, which are the next five phases. Then in each of those phases, the player who has chosen the action, who has put their pricing token on it, gets to take that action for free. 
and each action also has an auxiliary action which will cost resources which you can do if you want um, each other player in clockwise order then gets to choose whether they want to do that action or not and um, they then have to pay the player and the bank according to the pricing token that was put on that action uh, the player that priced that action that is um, each of those five actions is done in, in that order and then the last action is moving and so then people move around the map in the last action and if they are in the same territory as another player then they have to fight in the next phase which is the battle phase where we resolve all the battles war. <laughs> um yeah war so also the way that battles are resolved i'll just quickly explain it um every battle must be resolved in the phase but they're resolved one at a time so starting with the first player he chooses a battle he or she chooses a battle in which they are involved in um then they uh resolve that battle and then the player to their left then picks a battle now whoever picks the battle has tie break so these are battles that are won according to a certain number of strength and so if you have the same number of strength the person who picked the battle has tie break so it's very also important which battles you pick first um, after the battle phase has been completed everything's been resolved you, we move on to the income phase where various um, income bonuses from buildings and from other things help you uh, gain resources and then there's the final phase which is the relic phase which maybe we'll get into talking more about relics as well mm. relics are one of the victory conditions in the game um, which uh, is where you check if someone has won the game on relics and if not the relics which are also the round counters the lowest number one is taken by the player who controls it and they gain some bonuses for that now i've just explained the core of the game now there's a very important thing i haven't talked about is that there are six factions which are highly asymmetric they all play on the same core of the game which i which i talked about um so there is this really uh integral core that whichever faction you're playing that's the game but all the factions break rules in certain ways um, they each have their unique victory condition so every faction you play you're going to be playing the game differently um, they have uh, faction attributes they have a, fa a unique faction building they have unique faction leaders um, so there's a lot going on and and each of those leaders and attributes can be upgraded as well so there's a lot of choice as well in the path you want to take with um so combining those two things uh makes it in my opinion a really fun game we've had a lot of fun with it yeah oh well explained so you sort of went through all the rounds well roughly and what we would have got out of that was that there's a lot of economy in this game like you're spending a lot of time building your economy um spending energy for certain actions building uh upgrading researching that sort of thing and then there's going to be combat and so it's a game that has both of these things and it's sort of a, what you would call a hybrid um it's a hybrid to our tastes so it's got the the right amount of battle and of you know tactical strategizing and how you're going to build your engine um for our the right tastes. amount in now, our opinion yeah <laughs> so so you said that you know if people are just going to hide in a corner um then they're probably not going to do well what do you say to those players do you just say that maybe this game isn't for them yeah i would say okay i think there's some players that maybe hide because maybe they have had bad experiences in other games um so i would say maybe if, if that's your case try just getting aggressive attacking and not worrying about it too much 
but the game isn't isn't for everyone no game is for everyone you know like i think sometimes it, sometimes in the board gaming world we're like oh that game's terrible or that game's great and then we get into big arguments there is some objective things about like good board game design and, and bad board game design which i think like it's like a good film right you can be like yeah that is a really good film but then you can say that's a really good film that i don't enjoy you know right right <laughs> um so i think the game might not be for everyone but we also have had people such as shem phillips the publisher of this game um garfield games shem phillips who does not like area control games he, he doesn't really enjoy them very often um but he said he's starting to be converted by this game. He's actually started to really enjoy it and has been kicking our butts. So Yeah, and, and that's the key thing, he's been converted. So the, the crazy thing, and just hats off to Shem. He's just such a good guy, and he's got a lot of trust in me, which I'm just really honoured by. The crazy thing was that he played this game several times, and he basically said, I don't like it. There's basically, to the worst effect of, the combat is too important, um, that sort of thing. And he just doesn't like that sort of game. He doesn't like his his dudes dying. Well, we don't actually have death in the game, but his dude's been taken away from him. And I said, yeah, that's totally fine. We understand that. Then he said, but I can see the potential. I can see that this is a really good game. So it's one of those like, hey, this is, this is a good movie, but I don't like it kind of thing that you're referring yeah. to. Um, and the crazy thing is he said he would publish it. And he said he would publish it at that point. And I was like, wow, okay, yeah. that's that's really cool. Um, but the story doesn't end there. He has since played the game a bunch, and he's been converted. He, he really likes the game. Um, a lot of his plays were at two-player, and we're, yeah. we're really, really happy with the two-player mode. But it is like chess. It's zero-sum gain. So I take away some of your troops. That, that just makes me stronger. Um, there's not the kind of third, fourth, fifth factions to start kind of... the balancing the game based on how the table wants to play it's just everything i do against you is going to make me stronger and vice versa so the two-player game definitely isn't for everyone uh, but it's really cool that shem has been well we think <laughs> he said that he started think, to really was, enjoy this game which is i think it was cool when, we, when he was like I'm, I'm keen to try a four or five player game and then i think we played one and and he really enjoyed it it helped that he um he, he wrote the rule book before this happened. So yeah. he got a really good grip on the game because that's one of the things with a game that's so complex that has six different factions, if you're playing it uh, for the first time and then, you know, uh, Larian just jump from the other side of the map, that's one of the factions, and attack you and you're like, hey, how, how can they do that? that I, I didn't know that could happen. That's not fair, you know? And that can make you feel really bad when you don't understand properly what the other factions can do and what they're doing um that can make you feel like something's unfair or something's not right um i think that really helped him having a good grasp on the whole game and he knew what everyone was doing and then he started to actually get really good as well and like yeah. wreck us yeah we call it the rule book buff so it turns yeah. out if you write the rule book for a game you just get better at the game like <laughs> who would have known Hey, what we're going to do now is I'm just going to take a little step back and we're going to redo, not redo, but do another elevator pitch, but more sort of from the thematic level. Um, yeah. So this game is the second game in the Circadians universe. And I'll just grab this here. 
so this is the first edition of circadian's first light um there is going to be a second edition which we could maybe talk about at some point but um so the humans are they call themselves circadians because the circadian rhythm is about the 24 hour cycle it's about the earth uh spinning um on its axis uh you know with day and night and that sort of thing so they call themselves circadians to remind them of home remind them of that um and they've gone out exploring they're trying to find other planets other lands and they find this planet called rye r-y-h and they find this planet which is teeming with life and it's not just like bacteria and plants on this planet there are intelligent humanoid creatures um which we call the locals and you can see a few of them here we've got drayek larian and scaro and there's lots of these different types of humanoid um you know locals on this planet and so the circadians they arrive on this planet but they don't want to destroy the planet they don't want to take over and, and and kill these locals they want to establish a home there they want to negotiate with them they want to um, make alliances and friendships and coexist uh, peacefully so that's kind of the theme of the first game and so it's a game it's a, it's a dice placement euro style game where you're negotiating with the locals you're advancing your tech you know because you're quite new on this planet so you're wanting to harvest resources and build these farms and ships and you know zoom your way around the planet and improve your negotiations also in this uh in first light was a uh, solo mode which was kind of like you know um an ai we called it an ai because that's what you call it you know a bot or an ai that plays the game but we thought it would be fun if we actually illustrated so sam phillips did the art he actually illustrated some ai characters and so these are kind of like the villains that you are fighting against when you're playing the single player mode and so what we what we ended up having was five different factions we've got the circadians the ai and the three local factions in in circadians first light and this was the basis for a, another game <laughs> really and um so we so i was thinking for quite a while about this shem said that with the circadians game he wanted this to be a new line a new world for games to be put in and he said that he was more flexible with these games than than he was with the west kingdom and the north with with the games in the west kingdom trilogy for example we we have some tight constraints on them we know that they're going to be a euro style game um there's going to be they're going to be victory point based um, they're all going to have workers and they're all going to have coins and they're all going to have cards uh, these components that are going to be consistent throughout the the trilogies they're all, all going to roughly be uh one to two hour kind of play time and they're going to be sort of in that same weight range that same sort of uh game style i wouldn't say they're the same same game they're, they're quite different from each other but they give you a similar sort of experience a similar um, type of enjoyment maybe it's that kind of strategizing uh building an engine uh comboing cards that sort of thing and there is a little bit of interaction in those games um, but all of that to say there's some some constraints upon those euro style games the west kingdom etc with circadians shim was basically like we can do whatever we want with this world we could do <laughs> A real-time game i don't actually know if we we want to we don't love real time but we could do a real-time game we could do a cooperative game we could do a battle game um 
this is a world that we can kind of live in and explore and design games for. Uh, so this idea of um, a five or five or six faction, we'll get to the six faction soon, but this idea of these five factions that we already knew from the first light, uh, can they come up and can they each of them be playable? So in first light, you play as the circadians, but really you play as one circadian leader. So one person who's kind of got these other people that are under them, helping them out. Uh, what if you could play as all of the circadians? What if you could play as all of the AI? What if you could play as all of the Dreyek? So this was the, the initial kind of thematic idea. Um, and I've actually, always, we're going to get back to this soon, but I've actually always liked battle games. Um, I played Risk when I grew up and I just had really, really fond memories of it. And sadly, I haven't played it since and I think I might still like it. I know that maybe I'll get frustrated at some of the randomness, uh, but I just have really, really good memories playing Risk. What about you, Zach? What about you with these battle types of games? Yeah, um, definitely for me as well. Like Risk... I can't remember what Christmas it was. We got gifted risk. I must have been about six years old, seven years old. And apart from like playing risk, I, okay. I know lots of people hate this in games, but I loved playing risk with my brothers and sisters and the like going off to the kitchen to get a drink of water and then being like, Oh, let's go and attack. So, and so, you know, and kind of like the wheeling and dealing. Like I, I loved it. Like, I, I think it's so much fun in the context of a game, like when you know it's all just a game and fun. Um, so I always enjoyed that. I would always get smashed because I was little and I had um, an older brother and sister and obviously they would always win. <laughs> but, um, and then when I played Lord of the Rings Risk, because I, I mean, me and Sam both grew up in New Zealand when the Lord of the Rings films came out and uh, I, I'm i a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And when I played Lord of the Rings Risk for the first time, I was like, this is so amazing, you know? Um, and then I played some other stuff like Stratego. Uh, I remember we had a copy of that, which was like, a, I don't know if you know, if you've ever seen it, Sam, but it's like a battle game where you can't see the other person's units and you basically right. fight like, and a few units stronger than theirs, then you destroy it. But you're kind of like trying to guess where they've put their strong units, etc. Um, and... And yeah, so I, I really loved that. And, and apart from playing Risk, I used to invent my own like little games with the Risk pieces and like with wooden blocks and I would like play with them all the time. So um, so I kind of really enjoyed that. Uh, it wasn't until later on when I was like uh, probably about 12 or 13 that I played Catan and, and kind of saw that there were Euro games as well, like resource um what do you call it uh like resource know. gathering euro style resource kind of, gathering yeah. euro style games yeah i i kind of thought of apart from monopoly which was always i never liked um you know risk was like the board game it was yeah. the board game yeah and i've been thinking a little bit just now about well why what is it about conflict that we like you know you could just say that we are naturally aggressive people but i don't think that's right um and and to be fair most of my gaming isn't battle games most of my gaming isn't these dudes on a mat style games so it's this kind of refreshing break it's this kind of po point of distinction when you play these games they feel like 
a meal of a game. They feel like an afternoon event. Um, I love Euro games. I design lots of Euro games. We play them all the time and then we break it up. And, and one of the things about playing these games is it facilitates this kind of deeper and this more intimate level of interaction. Like, and drama. And drama, yeah. And so that, and, and it can, it definitely can lead to frustration and it can lead to misery <laughs> within the game when you lose that. But And flipping the table, or, you know. Yeah, but, but I think part of it is there is such a high level of strategy and the thing that's different about the strategy, it's strategy with stakes, right? Like if I don't strategize properly, if I don't, you know, group up my troops in the right areas, I'm going to lose that region and I'm going to lose those troops. And so there's that you've added all of this tension, all of this, all the stakes, this drama, this risk, I guess, to your strategizing, to your planning. Yeah. And so we, we love agency in games. We love players having choices. And a game like this says, here's an open map where you want to go. And, yeah. and what do you want to control? And what, what territory, what regions will you make yours? And it's, it's usually in direct competition with the players around you. And, and so this can create some of these most memorable moments in games. Like, I don't always love dice rolling to resolve combat. We, we'll get into that in a later episode because we do have dice, a little bit of dice, um, dice, dice effects, I guess, in, in our combat. But, but you do remember those moments when each person just has one army left and they've been fighting, you know, this fight has gone on for ages and they have one army left and the, you roll the six and you win. And it's that moment where it's so memorable it's so exciting that i don't care i don't care if you say oh it was all decided by a die roll yeah it was and you know actually some i've heard some experts on war and things like that say there are so many random factors that that can't be known in real life war and real life battles like about the wind and about people's morale and the temperature and all those i don't, I don't know too much but all those sorts of things sort of function as random factors that can't be known. It's not simply army size that, that always wins at the end of the day. Um, so I, th that's a little, a, a mini kind of uh, monologue in defense of dice. It just creates these amazing moments. And, and in general, these strategy games uh, tend to create these memorable moments more often. Yeah, I think one of the other kind of memorable things that can happen apart from that is the like over the course of the game because <laughs> chaos order risk is a long game chaos order is also reasonably long um it's from two to four hours and in the course of a two to four hour game things can change someone who thought they were out of the game everyone thought they were out of the game can come back and win you know and we've seen that happen in in the open plays we've done recently you know where someone gets smashed in the first round and you're like oh i mean i hope hope they enjoy the game you know and then they come back and win it and you're like well that's yeah. cool you know like there, there's drama in that there's a story that's played out across across the game um and another thing i wanted to talk about talking about what you were saying as well about the open map about the agency is it's not so different to like worker placement where people maybe still uh, your spot, right? You're like, you've planned out what you want to do and you're like, I hope they don't take that spot and then they take it. Um, but here we're playing with a map 
And so maybe in the movement phase, for example, in, in chaos order, um, so, you know, unless you're moving last, you have to move before other people. And so you have to kind of think about where you think they're going to move. But where they move might change according to what you do, because you maybe you just open up something really good for them. So you kind of have to like mm. anticipate. You have to like your strategy isn't just about what you want to do, but you also have to consider what the other people are going to do. And not just what they're going to do, but what they're going to do as a result of what you do. Um, and so, like, I think that that brings like a whole nother level of strategy. You, you can't just have things figured out. You have to also like try and foresee or or think about what you would do in that person's position. Um, if if you see you doing that move, what am I going to do? Am I going to attack them then? Or you know, and then maybe they won't do what you would have done. They'll just do something different. And that also makes it fun because you you can't game the game because you're playing against people. Yeah, so there's this there's this layer of getting in the minds of the other person and thinking what's best for them, what are they wanting to do, which is such a rich kind of interaction. Uh, we're going to get more, we're going to, we're going to talk a lot of, a lot more about interaction, what we wanted to achieve from this game. Uh, so we've sort of spoken about why, why battle games? Why, why do we want conflict in our games? Um, we don't naturally like conflict, but you know, we think that it can create some really cool moments in games. Oh, sorry. I think, I think Sam, I just want to add something on because, um, you talked about the first game thematically as about, you know, like negotiating and stuff. So maybe people could be like, why then are suddenly these factions just smashing each other? Like that doesn't, yeah. you know, you had, you, you had a game that wasn't about killing aliens and now this one is like, what's yeah. going on? Man? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we'll get to now is we're going to jump back onto that thematic conversation. Uh, and so, so what's happened? What's happened? Well, there are these relics, these ancient relics, which have, have been sort of spoken about they've sort of been prophesied about but it was one of those sort of prophecies on the land that kind of became a myth sort of became a legend like heard of these ancient relics of immense power and just as time separated from them being known they kind of just became more of this thing that the locals didn't really believe but one day we don't know what caused it this dramatic earthquake type event happened where these relics came up out of the ground and they are massive they're they're seriously huge and uh the 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 local factions are now so intrigued and they need to know about these they know that from from all the stories they heard when they were children they knew that they were relics of immense power and potentially potentially destructive power as well and so they start to think, well, what if, what if, you know, the Larian is starting to think, what if Draic take these for their own? They might start to be able to rule this whole land on their own and they could, you know, they could take us for slaves or whatever. They start worrying about what these other factions are going to do with them. And so this kind of creates a bit of mistrust. And so now there is a little bit of, this is kind of the, the start of what could create some conflict because they don't trust that the other factions would do right with these relics. They don't trust that they should have all of that power. And to add to that with the humans, they're kind of like, what's going on? But if this is causing all of these locals to, to separate and to, you know, to break off into their factions, then they're not going to look out for us anymore. 
and we're in trouble. Our future here is not necessarily safe and secure. And um, the AI they've brought along, this is, if you've seen any sci-fi movies, it's just the classic trope. Like the AI have just gone out of control. They're, they're bonkers. The, the circadians, they can't control them anymore. And so they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, we, we can't control these. But the, the locals are thinking, you've brought these destructive robots to our land and they're, they're thinking they're sort of an extension of the, of the humans. Um, so that also created sort of this tension between the circadians and um, the locals because of what the AI were becoming. Uh, so this, this conflict isn't played out over the whole world. It's not played out over the whole area of Rai. It's sort of a specific area, specific territory, region, continent, region, or whatever. Yeah. And so there are, it can be assumed that there are other factions, there are other, you know, circadians elsewhere, there are Larian elsewhere, who are still getting on just fine, who are still in peace. And this isn't a conflict about utter domination. They're not trying to kill one another. They are just wanting to, to secure the power, mainly as a defensive securing the power so that someone else doesn't abuse this power of the relics and so from that sort of thematic explanation i'll go into what the goal of the game is what it's actually happening in the game so we have these six relics that are spawned on the map and they're spawned in slightly random positions each time so it creates this really interesting dynamic because we have the same map by and large there's a few hexes which change but we mostly have the same map, but based on where players pick their put their bases and where the relics spawn, it feels like a different map every time. Like, it, it really does. Depending on where you are and where you are according to the relics and how close they are to each other. It's kind of interesting. Each of these relics are, are labeled 1 to 6, and they, are, they that represents the round which they will be collected. So the goal of the game is for the, any faction to control all six of these relic regions. So that sounds no, pretty no, impossible. All, all, all yeah. of the relic regions. All of the relic regions, okay? So that sounds pretty impossible when there's six out there. And we might have about 15 to 20 regions in the game, depending on player count. Uh, 12 to 20 in the game. Uh, so that sounds pretty impossible, right? Well, at the end of round one, the first relic relic one if no one controls all six relics which is going to be the case in round one you're not going to control all six the player who controls that round's relic relic one they collect it and they bring it home and now they get an immediate benefit which is going to help them with something I'll tell you about soon uh, they get an immediate benefit but now crucially that relic is gone from the game so now to win on relic victory you have to only control five, the five remaining relics. And then the next round, relic two is collected. And so it gets to this point where the game would come to a natural end at round six. It couldn't go any longer because at the end of round six, the player who's controlling relic six, which by this point is the only remaining relic, um, if they control that, they will win the game. Now, that is like the insurance policy that the game is going to end this happens the relic six victory happens about five percent of the time um one in 20 games that sounds about right i would say even less maybe less like, it's more I'd than one percent 
it's more than one it's less than five it's somewhere around there like we've seen it we've seen it two or three times maybe um so this is going to bring the game to a natural end it's not going to go longer than six rounds but it could be shorter um it could be shorter because you know players could win on relic victory before but here's the other thing and zach has mentioned this but here's the other thing each faction has their own unique win condition each faction has their own unique win condition that they can win by. And uh, so so you're going to be trying primarily to do this. And the relic system is a way of keeping all of the players engaged in the game and feeling like they've got a chance to win if it goes late. Um, if they're not doing too well on their own win condition, they could plan and strategize around, okay, round five, I'm going to get relic five, relic six, and win the game that way. And so it keeps people engaged. Do you have anything more to say about the, the win conditions? Yeah, I think um, what you just said now is really important because one of the things that can often happen in these games um, is you just see a runaway leader or just someone who... And like maybe everyone can go and beat them up, but maybe it won't be enough. Or, you know, or maybe you're, there's just a runaway loser, <laughs> you know, which can be even worse. But there's just one player who's having an absolutely horrible time um, I'll give you an example, which happened to me. I got stuck. Um, for those who know Root, I was playing as the birds, and I got stuck in a six-player game. I think it's only possible in a six-player game. I got stuck in an eternal loop of um, of my government going bust, and I could never keep it for more than one round. So I basically ended the game on one point, I think. And, you wow. know, if, if, that, if that happens to the game, you just go, oh, man, what? You know? But um, like having uh, another another victory possible victory condition, which Root actually does as well. I'm not I'm not talking badly about Root. I enjoy it. Um, having another possible victory condition means that uh, yeah, every player is still in the game. No one is a write off. And um, I know I've had some some games of Chaos Order where I've I've absolutely gotten smashed in the first few rounds, but when it got to round three or four, when it got to maybe round four, I made a play for the relics. And, you know, like, that doesn't always come off. I'm not saying you're, you're definitely going to win. But I was in the running to win, you know? Like, players were about to win on their personal um, victory conditions. I was way off on that. But I was in the running to win on that round. You know, I was one of two or three players who could win in that round. So, you know, it makes it makes you, yeah stay in the game stay focused and, and and keep enjoying the game even when people are you know maybe you've, you've gotten a bit of hard luck or or people have beaten up on you yeah and, and one of the things that i want to talk about with with battle games um i leading up to designing this game because we knew we wanted to and we were dreaming about this for quite a while i played a lot of these grand strategy dudes on a map style games i played you know blood rage innis kemet dune um eclipse twilight imperium i, tr I tried nearly all of them that i could um, and one of the things that i realized that i enjoy or or something that i really don't like in some of them and these might be otherwise really great games and so this is not a, a slight on the game too much right it, but one of the things that i don't like is if there's a set ending that it's always going to be a three-round game um and and if it's going to be a the person with the most victory points style of game so blood rage does this i love pretty much everything about blood rage 
except for the victory points and the the rounds as how we determine the winner and the reason the reason that i don't love this in a battle game is i love the threat of someone just being able to win and it just happening like i like that in risk that actually someone just reveals boom i actually don't love hidden missions but i like the boom okay i just won you know i, I revealed that I've, I've done my mission the game is over the threat of it ending it feels so right for a battle game if you have controlled enough territory or you have really just done everything that you needed to do in my opinion the game should be over i shouldn't be looking at this person who's 50 vp ahead of me and we still have half a round to play out and i've got no chance of catching them i i want the game to be over when it's over and that threat of the game possibly ending it really ups the tension even if it's not going to end players start working together oh look at this player who who's ahead they could end it this round what are we going to do about it so this was one of the the goals that needed to be in the game um, we do have the potential ending at round six that we know will happen and that's good to ensure that we're not playing for 17 hours but yeah. it's probably not going to happen right and um so so it's going to end sometime maybe round four maybe round five maybe in round six uh but you don't know exactly when it's going to end. Uh, so that is something that we needed to put into this game. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I was just thinking about, you know, like the, the Relic Victory as well is also a way that you can surprise other players because having the, the two different victory conditions, the personal one and the public one, it's also something that you need to be aware of, both of them, because sometimes people like in a three or four player game people are so busy working on their personal ones that they maybe like leave some of the relics unguarded now if they re leave some of the relics unguarded that means you can control them without having to fight for them you know mm. and so maybe they'll be fighting on the current round relic but you can basically control those three without having to fight and put all your army on that one and try and win the current round relic and win the game you know, and you've kind of surprised people and they didn't see it coming. Now, you surprised them not because you can surprise people, but because those people weren't paying, paying attention. But having those sorts of elements in the game where you can be like sneakily being like, are they going to move units onto that relic? Oh, they didn't move units onto it. Now I'm going to try my, my dastardly plan. You know, like those sorts of things I really enjoy in games. Like I really enjoy like seeing that opportunity open up and your eyes go, you know? Yeah. You just, you just, you're like yes ah, i might be able to win the game and then like sometimes you don't win the game anyway but you know you kind of have that that opportunity that opens up before you um and it's a game where there's like even when we've played it so many times there's still room to make mistakes and, yeah. and let other game <laughs> i love i love games that have room to make mistakes i actually love making mistakes in games that have played a lot I don't enjoy actually making mistakes, but I love that, oh, I just made a mistake. There are things that I still can learn about this game. It's still a slight challenge to me, you know, and the sequencing, the order of doing things, all of that. I love having that room to improve. Um, so, so I want to talk a little bit about how we got started. And there's a question that I've heard asked on nearly every single uh, board game designer Q&A and it's pretty much this question you probably know what it is it's, so so what do you start with theme 
or mechanic? And <laughs> and I thought about why is this question always being asked? Like, is this question just a fundamentally interesting question, or or what is it about this question? And and here's what I've realized about this question. I think what this question really is. There's a question behind the question, and it is how do you get started? And and it's because people they might want to be a game designer or they might be sitting on these ideas and they're like i don't know how to get started so so how do you start do you start with the mechanic should i should i just make up a mechanic should i start with the theme and i think you just get started whatever way is best for you to get started um so so we sort of had this well i sort of had this idea for a theme rolling around in my head ever since shem said let's do more circadians games so i wanted a battle game I know that we were kind of peaceful in the first game, but I wanted a battle game. I wanted to be able to play any of the factions from First Light. So that was the theme, but there wasn't a mechanical hook. And one day this 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 idea for a mechanism came to my head, and it was this idea of um, pricing actions. So it was initially a card draft, um, but basically there'll be a certain number of actions in the game, maybe like six, five or six actions, and in the battle game, let's say just the generic tropes, which ended up being in this game, we've got move, so moving your troops, we've got recruit, we might even have a combat, like to actually fight that action, we might have a harvest and build on the land, that sort of thing. And you've got these five actions, and the idea is that every player can take these actions. And this was another thing that was really important, because um, I wanted a game with even if it was long, I didn't want long downtime. Like you play some of these battle games and it gets around to your turn and you can do like a million things and you run through the sequence of things that you can do and people are just sitting there like waiting for you to finish their turn. So with something like Shall this... Shall we say that's something that me and Sam agreed on quite a yeah. lot because I'm, I'm known in, uh, in Garfield circles for skipping people's turns because I want to play mine so badly. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> really, I don't enjoy waiting half an hour to yeah so so in doing this you you take that normal long list of things that you would do in some area control games like a risk or whatever and you do all of those things on your turn you'll get the opportunity to do all of them what we're doing is we're taking all of them and separating them out and we're saying you can do this everyone can do this then everyone can do this then everyone can do this that's not completely unique but that's what we wanted to go for and with this pricing mechanism, what you would do is when it was your turn to draft the card, you would pick which action you wanted. And then with the with a die, you would set the value on that action between one and six. And this was the price that of, of the currency that players would have to pay you to take that action. And you would get to take that action for free. Um, and so then you would want you would want this money so that you could pay to take other players' actions. And it was supposed to be this really interesting dynamic of if you price things too high, then people just won't pay you and you won't make money and you won't be able to take other actions. If you price too low, you're not making much money out of it, you know? And so people get a really good action cheaply. That was the idea. Couple that with the, I want to play these five asymmetric factions and I want a battle game and then that was basically what we needed to start but there was a problem the problem was i also had this idea that if you know any of the west kingdom games that when we do the tome saga 
which was going to be this way to play all three of the games back to back and kind of determine the grand winner of the trilogy um, in one afternoon, that sort of thing, which Shem had done for the North Sea trilogy. I had this idea that what if we also released cooperative modes for all three of the games so you could play all three of them cooperatively? Now, this is something that <laughs> is just an absurd idea. It's just an absurd amount of work to make these actually work well, like to make them even balanced and fair and, and winnable and losable. You want it, you want both. Um, and so I was just so, so busy. And I was also working pretty much full time as well. I was just so, so busy. So I had this idea rattling around in my head, but I just didn't have the design time or space to, to, to work on it. And I really, really wanted to work on it, but I was just, being a madman with these cooperative modes that I think five people have played. Um, but I just did it because it was a challenge for me and Shem was in on it. Um, so I called up or texted my mate Zach, who I've known for a long time, who now lives in Italy and who lived in Italy at the time. And the reason I contacted him was because I knew that Shem was really busy. I also knew that he uh, doesn't love these sorts of battle games that 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 i've loved as a child and i knew that zach would i knew that zach would catch this vision and be all in on it and be excited and that he would want the same style of game mostly as i would want so i thought okay i'm just going to message zach here's this game idea can we do it together and, and i'll let you tell the rest from from your perspective zach yeah well i think like when I was in New Zealand as well, uh, visiting, I, I spent a lot of time playtesting Architects because it was right at the time just before Architects came out. So before Sam became famous, shall we say. <laughs> and, famous. and I actually playtested Circadian's First Life as well, which I'm going to give a piece of information here, which I don't think people know about. But Circadian's First Light was inspired by an Age of Empires 2 scenario that we made, me, Sam, and, and, and other friends, um, who, we, we played Age of Empires 2 together quite a lot. And we had these scenarios that we had made. And so Circadian's first light was based on one that was called Four Bridges because you had your base and you, there was the middle part where you sent people out to fight. So uh, that's why you send your dice out into the middle when you have farms at home. So that's yeah, um, a nice little, nice little Easter egg. I don't even know if Sam remembered that, but I remember. I do remember you, now. Yeah. I do remember now. And, <laughs> and now that makes me think, man, I actually want to make the proper Four Bridges game now. You know, because like that was the starting point, and that's the that's the whole thing about that theme mechanic. You find a starting yeah. point and you jump in and you run with the inspiration, whatever that starting point is. For me, it was an Age of Empires map, and there's still that same element that Zach talked about. You've got your farms at home and your dice out there, but apart from that, there's, it's nothing like that Age of Empires map. And yeah, now I, I want to I want to work on that because it was a fun map. Anyway, yeah, back man. to your. Your as choice. well as the king the king one where you kill people's king in the base yeah, yeah anyway that was a good one too um yeah so sam wrote to me it must have been around christmas or just after christmas in 2018 september 19 2019 september i think was it, was. it september yeah 2018 was it yeah. that early yeah wow that's crazy okay so around september 2018 um, yeah, so Sam wrote to me, and when I was in New Zealand and I was playtesting his games, I was talking to him as well about some game ideas I had, and 
you know, like I was kind of interested in, in playing around with game design as well. And all my game ideas were invo- involving battle and conflict. So he probably had an idea as well that <laughs> that's, that's my jam. Um, so he, he messaged me and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm so keen. Like, first of all, first reason is Sam's one of my best mates. I just enjoy spending time with him. So designing a game together was an opportunity to spend more time together, to get enthusiastic about stuff. I think that's one of the things that we've always loved. We've um, always played like computer games together and just chatted about them for hours because we get enthusiastic about them. And so this was an opportunity to make something and get enthusiastic about it. Um, and that was that's definitely been the process. But definitely the first few months, it was like, he's like, here's a document, do something, and then we'll talk about it because, yeah, he didn't have any time. I've and got so, this game idea, make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. So, uh, yeah, the, he had a pricing idea and I can't remember what else. There might have been something else, like the actions or whatever. And so I had to try and make some sort of game out of that. Um, and I was a total noob because I have to say – I have learned so much in these three years about game design. Um, I was a total, total noob at the end, but working with Sam has been a huge learning experience and, and, and awesome. Um, so I made a prototype and I played it, I think with like my wife and a friend or something. And, uh, and it was pretty bad. Um, but I talked to Sam about it and be like, oh, yeah, this is how it went and this thing doesn't work and that thing doesn't work. And I think we need, and then he would just send me back messages, right? So without even him ever playing it, I would just maybe send him some photos. I might send him like documents. At that point, I was even translating it into Italian to play it with my friends because I'm in Italy and um, not everyone speaks English super well. Um, yeah, and so I was just going ahead like that. And um, and even then, it might have even been sort of like almost two iterations of prototypes um, before you got less busy. Um, and that was interesting. Uh, one of the things I learned is when a game doesn't work, it takes a really long time and it's not fun. Mm. Like when things don't work properly and they're not like uh, elegant, they can get really time consuming really quickly. Even something that in your head you think is like, shouldn't be that, that take that long, it ends up taking quite a long time. But even from the beginning, there were quite a lot of the elements that we have now. Um, I think I already had three types of buildings. Yeah. I, I was looking today at my first prototype. I had three types of buildings, which there are today, which are almost like they're inspired by those first buildings. Um, the combat, uh, I made combat cards, which had um, strength, attack, and shields on them. So... Um, you know, strength wins you the battle, attack wounds people and shields guard against attack. So um, that is sort of like it, it morphed into a much more complex, I would say a much better combat system, but but um, some of those concepts stayed. Um, uh, there, we have gems. There were gems in the very first prototype, but they yeah. were just worth points or something like that. Yeah, but what we did was uh, we grabbed resources. all the all the resources from Circadian's First Light because we wanted to tie <laughs> these games together. Like, this is what is generated on this land. So, mm. can we have a use for algae? Can we have a use for energy? Can we have a use yeah. for gems? 
uh, this 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 experience was really different for me as well because you know all of my all of my prototypes i've been the first to play them and often it'll just be on my own i get to see that first play and that first play you learn so much and and i was you know zach had sent me this photo i was like whoa okay he's done it he's done yeah. it all right and i would just send message after message after message what about the combat system what about this system what did players think about this what was wrong with that and i really 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 needed to understand everything that was going on i wanted to just take it all in so that i could think about it in my sleep just just keep thinking about it to to work on it and i think what we'll do is we'll we'll go into how we improved it maybe next episode how we actually developed the game together and i want to talk a lot about the asymmetry as well at some point um but but basically that's how we started was you know there's here's these ideas zach can you do it and and he did and um i think the key win from that first play was that the pricing mechanism this core mechanism could work like it worked it needed tweaking but it could work and it could be fun and it could be interesting and unique and the other thing about it was like it's it's unique but it's quite easy to understand. So, you know, often if you play if you play a lot of board games, you start to see all of these different ideas and coming up with novel and new ideas, they start getting quite convoluted, right? Because all of the obvious ones have been grabbed. They've all been not all of them, but a lot of them have been taken. But this is one that was intuitive, easy to understand, and it was fun. And so we knew that that was a winner and we would keep developing the game from there. Um, so before we end, I thought what we would do before at the end of each uh, podcast is we each give a one-sentence piece of advice for people playing Chaos Order. Not about designing games, just about Chaos Order. And I'll, I'll give my advice first, and it can be silly, and it can be serious. And, and my advice is this. If you see the big red leader, run. <laughs> That's, that, that has helped me a lot. So, so what is your um, one sentence piece of advice, Zach, for Chaos Order? Don't underestimate AI. Don't underestimate AI. And we're going to be getting more of these tidbits as we go on. So um, anyway, thank you so, so much for watching. This is a bit of a trial run for us. Uh, so this, this being the first episode, uh, please let us know any feedback, anything that you'd love for us to talk about. We're not sure how many episodes we're going to do. We're just going to keep talking about this game and um, letting you in on the process letting you in on how we design the game and some of our thoughts about game design in general as well we're going to talk a lot about what we think is good for combat not in this game but just in general we're going to talk a lot about what makes asymmetry fun in games so anyway give us any feedback and thank you so so much for watching